weren't sitting on it, it would hit the ceiling. I was about to say avocado. In in trepidation, in patration, in I'm intrigued. If you don't sit on it and reach behind you, what you do is you sit on it the correct way around. Hello and welcome to A Walrus Line. My name's Tony. Let me introduce you to Ant. Hello. And to Matt. One second, let me just clean the chocolate off my hand. We're three friends who, on a regular basis, are going to introduce you to subjects that you've never even thought about. In this episode, we're going to talk to you about time travel for the confused, our Turner Prize entry, and the B-Day Inquisition. Because that, that took me a while to get me head round. There was a gaining an hour or losing an hour. We go forward, do we get an hour? I, I know now what the solution is. And I am, at this current moment in time, 52 years old. That means, I think, in my lifetime, there's been 104 changes of the clock. Yep. Yeah. I haven't got a clue whether or not it's going to get darker or lighter in the evening or the morning or whether I'm going to feel tired, more tired or less tired or whatnot the next day. Every single time I have to really, really, really think about okay. it. Everybody, I... says, everybody says, I've got a simple solution. It's spring forward and fall back. I go, okay. No, that doesn't help. It's darker. about going back in time. It's like when I told my children, and I, I might have been wrong at this, but as we were going down the motorway, I taught them about time travel and basically said, look, that car in front of us, that's in the future because that's going past that lamppost before we do. So that's in the future. The car behind us, that's in the past because that's not going to go past that lamppost until we've gone past it. I got told off by M for filling them with that nonsense. But I do understand the whole time thing you lose an hour so you basically repeat an hour which means you gain an hour or you <laughs> jump forward an hour and you you lose an hour I, I do understand it but i'm crap at explaining things i still don't know after 104 time changes in my life i still don't know when we get to what's the next one october i still don't know whether it's going to be lighter or darker in the morning or lighter or darker in the evening. Oh, right okay so it's full yeah so you, you fall back, yeah, that's the, the, the mnemonic or whatever it's called. So you go back an hour, which means you repeat an hour. So that means if it was 8 o'clock yesterday and the sun was up, it means it's 8 o'clock now and the sun hasn't come up yet, so it's going to be dark. Like I said, I'm not very good at explaining things. But to be I, honest, I, like, I work in an office. <laughs> it, it doesn't i'm not out plowing the fields or like feeding the cows so to me it makes fuck all difference whether what time it gets light and dark to be honest all, all i care about is getting either when i get the extra hour in bed i'm happy when i feel i've been deprived an hour in bed it takes me a couple of weeks to stop being a sulk yeah but it's a sunday so don't you just get up when you want except on tuesdays anyway well yeah but that's not the point it's <laughs> It's been told I've lost an hour's sleep. I did. Even if you didn't I, notice it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the simple solution would be GMT BST. Why not do GMT and a half, split the difference, 
and just have that. And then yeah. one time throughout the year, simple. But I think it's the farmers that complain. But again, what what difference does it make to them what time it is? They have to get up with the, the cock rule. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't really understand no, why. The sun comes up earlier. But the sun comes up when the sun comes up. Exactly, and they get up with the sun. earlier. When, when it goes back, it's earlier. Well, it's, um, it's funny. We're talking about um, um, art and... Um, you know the 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 impression of art in the eye of the beholder kind of thing, mm. because I I have created some art today. Have you? I have, okay. uh, and I will share it with you in a moment. But before I do that, I'm just really interested in your opinion, Matthew. Yes, you're a man of culture. I am, and yeah, <laughs> you're a man of culture. I am. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your What's your view? On the Turner Prize. Okay, about once every five years, I go to the Tate Modern and have a sniff around. Um, and I try and like things, but actually once I went, this is a genuine uh, true story, and I was kind of having a look around. I was looking at one art exhibition, thinking, What's, what does this mean? And it, and it was the, um, the little children's slide and play area, and I genuinely thought it was a, um, <laughs> an exhibition. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't. It was just, which kind of it's probably quite damning about the sort of stuff in there, isn't it? I think. Oh, and yeah. actually, I went out once with my dad, and um, and my dad used to be a welder. He's retired now, and um, but he was um, he was like criticising all the welding on these kind of, you know, these like metal installation art pieces and stuff. Look at that! Look at that weld. That would have never got past my foreman and stuff like that. You know? <laughs> I have a real struggle because you're aware that my good lady wife is an artist. Yes. And, um, and it's it's a source of, as, as much as it frustrates me, it amuses her whenever we get onto the subject of the Turner Prize. Mm. And um, if, I mean, obviously it's, a, it's an award given on an annual basis. So there's an annual program on a Channel 4 or 5, whatever it is. And um, they'll, they'll review all the pieces of art that are in the in the uh, the shortlist for that year, and then announce the winner. And I I struggle, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I really really struggle. I I um I don't I don't reject modern art just because it's modern. Um, in fact, I did I did um I did go the last time I went to take modern, and there's a there's a there's a lot of stuff there that I just don't get. No. Um, so for example, I walked into this one installation. There's this piece of wire hanging from the ceiling, I don't know, 40 foot, and threaded onto this wire. You know, um, you know, back in the day when you went into a, a public toilet and you washed your hands, it would be on a, a bar of soap. And that bar of soap would like have like sort of cracks and crevices. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. And this artist had collected oh, hundreds of these bits of soap. Um, and threaded them on this wire hanging from the ceiling, and and I'm looking at it. I'm scratching my head. I've got absolutely no idea why that is art. I don't get it. Don't understand. Makes no sense to me. Um, but yeah, and, and I'm gonna, for the sake of balance, I'm gonna say something positive about modern contemporary art. We went into the next room, and there was this giant table and chairs. It's huge. Yeah, absolutely. I remember that. Yeah, I yeah, saw that monstrous thing. Yeah, and as you walked in. 
as a, as a you know, I'm five foot eleven. As a five foot eleven tall man, I've walked in. I managed to walk under a chair with with space to to spare, yeah. and 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 you had a perspective looking up at this table and chairs was just amazing. It's like, well, I've, I've not seen that since I was knee high. Um, um, but that could just be that I, I do. I remember read, reading a thing about Will Self when he said he's fascinated by things that are, um, and Danny Baker, I remember mentioning it, things that are sort of not to scale. Yeah. And he, and he said, yeah. Just, he, I don't know where he's talking. I think he said that once he was on holiday and there was in this town in America, they had the world's biggest light bulb. <laughs> he just went and see it just because he's quite interested to see you know human beings love things not to scale like, i love a model village you know especially we have the trains and the little cricket on the green and stuff like that you know so oh uh, matt i 100 percent agree with you my favorite thing in a model village is yeah. when the model village is of that village and within the model village is a model village of the model village. yeah brilliant I mean, did they have a nudist beach <laughs> I think I've heard about something like that. A nudist camper in a model village. I have seen it. I don't. I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's at Legoland. Right. There's nudes at Legoland, but I'm pretty sure it must be in Brighton. Is there a nudist beach in Brighton? Yeah. yeah. And I'm so, sure I've seen one with nudie nudies. So going back to the Tate Modern. Um, so I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to demonstrate to our listener. I'm not a complete Philistine and I do get modern art if it's good art. But at the same time, I struggle with the Turner Prize. And the thing I struggle with with the Turner Prize, um, about, I don't know, five or six years ago or something, um, there was there was one um, entry, which was a room. And the room had a plank of wood on the floor, I think two before, something like that. Mm. Proper trip hazard. So that was it. Lump of two by four on the floor and the light bulb hanging from the ceiling. And that was the exhibit. Yeah. But what that's really you sure? Not like Matt's like playground when he walked in. You weren't used <laughs> no. this installation was the that was under progress. No, this was the exhibit. A plank of wood and a light bulb. And and I have this perpetual argument with my artist wife. And she wins the argument every single time and I fall into the trap every <laughs> single time. And the argument goes something like this. So I say, that's bollocks. It's a lump of wood and a light bulb. Anybody could have done that. What yeah. on earth is anybody thinking that's art for? How can anybody give money? How can anybody give a prize? That's just the biggest load of tosh I've ever seen in my entire life. Anybody could do that. Yeah. And she says, well, if anybody could do that, why didn't you do it? Yeah. And I, well, because it's just a plank of wood and a light bulb and it just makes me angry and it's not even art. And then the argument moves on. Hang on a second, Tony. Art is something that provokes emotion in people. And the fact that you're getting angry about it proves that this is art. Yeah, but you're not going angry about like... The because, piece. Yeah. yeah, the piece. You're getting angry because they're calling it art, which I, I think are two separate things. Um, well, perhaps. But I, um, for example, my, um, my cousin he lives in Ireland. He's an artist. Um, he, he, he paints some beautiful, beautiful, beautiful pictures. And if, if, if I was in possession of a million pounds to spend on art, I would much rather give that million pounds to him for mm. one of his paintings 
than some woman who's got up in the morning and couldn't make her bed and said, I'm going to call it art instead. Mm. And, and therefore you enter the Turner Prize with an unmade bed. So the Turner Prize, so that plank of wood with the light bulb, the artist has set out just to piss people off, do you think? No. Or do you think there's people out there that go, oh, oh, it's beautiful. Oh, I understand the complexities and the light and the, the way it's positioned under the bulb. And, oh, yeah, it's that kind of bulb because that represents the oppression of... Or did he just go, I'm really going to piss off some middle-class blokes today by putting this on the floor and calling it art? Well, that's possible. But I, um, I've worked out what, what makes a piece of modern art a piece of modern art. It's not the fact that it's a plank of wood and a light bulb. That's not it. It's the story that you concoct to go with it. And, and let, let me take you back to uh, what I said a few minutes ago. I have made a piece of art today. Right. So the piece of art, and I'm going to show you a picture in a moment. The piece of art is... Again, it's not great for a podcast, but... Yeah, no, but we can share it on the on the Facebook page, on the socials, more social on our socials. So I've created a piece of art today, but the piece of art itself. So um, you know, to, spoiler alert, you're going to see it. You're going to see a picture of a glass jar on an oak plinth. That's what you're going to see in a moment. Mm. But this isn't. And bear in mind, the story is really, really important when it comes to contemporary art. It's not just a glass jar on an oak plinth. It's not. Ooh. So what I did was, um, you, know, you know how we are a little bit research light on this podcast? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what I decided I would do is um, think of the food and drink that the great artists of the world would like to drink and eat. So I think, I think most people know that Picasso was somebody that liked to drink absinthe. So yeah. I had some absinthe. Um, Shakespeare, I imagined, through lack of research, liked a real ale. So I had a few pints of real ale and a steak and kidney pie. Um, I, I assumed that Monet would like maybe a bottle of red wine, so I had that as well. And when you have a lot of rich food, what, what happens next? Tummy ache. Do. And what follows the tummy ache? Hearts. Wind. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided to capture ooh, ooh. Some, some flatulence <laughs> based on the great artists of the world and the food that perhaps I think they may like uh, to have eaten and, and drinks they might like to have drunk. And I've captured that gas um, and I've created a Turner Prize entry. And I'm going to show that to you now. Okay, uh, so are you ready for this? I'm a little yeah. bit revolted, but yeah, I'm a, a slight disgust. Not, <laughs> <laughs> not, not bad. <laughs> Love it. So this is this is a piece that I'm going to enter into the Turner Prize, <laughs> and, and and it's called, as you may be able to see from the image, it's called art. Right. <laughs> what do you but think? I, well, yes. I like it, but the first thing I think is that. You're you're making a statement to fuck art. <laughs> yeah, that could be right. Yeah, which is kind of a provocative statement in itself. It's controversial. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that I'd buy it, but I like it. And on 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 the scale of um, planks of wood, light bulbs, and unmade beds, this is 
easily three million pounds worth. We're going to retire on this. And what was in that jar beforehand and what will go back in that jar? Um, no, no, Matt, you, you need to understand it now contains a work of art. Right, so it will never be go back to having pasta in it or anything. Uh, uh, absolutely not. That would be disgusting and yeah. a little bit silly. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm up a, up, I'm a trepidatious. Trepidatious. Trepid, what was the proper word? Trepidatious. Trepidation. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, trepidation, trepidatious. Trepidation, so I'm trepidatious. I think so. It's like when I you don't... say kettle over and over and over and over and over again. It ends up sounding like really weird, like a word you've never heard of before. That's another good way of getting rid of hiccups. Right, I'm ready to be admonished. <laughs> I don't know about that, but... I've suffered 10 years of suffering. Mm -hmm. And this relates to an evening we spent, you and I together, in the house of Anton McCoolum (laughs) in Caterham. Yeah. So this is the the house on the little green outside. Yeah. That was Caterham. That was Caterham. So you introduced me to something that night, Matt, which has given me pain ever since. Right. And... If I could choose not to know what I learnt that night, <laughs> I would take that choice right now. Okay. No. It's, it's not hanging from your from hooks into your back, is it? Oh, where did that come from? <laughs> no, we, was doing, we was all doing it that night. No, we weren't. You've been watching Hellraiser. <laughs> so I reckon there's three levels of short story, like amusing short story with a kind of reveal at the end. And your first level of the amusing short story is probably your basic joke you know like uh um i don't know why has a milking stool only got three legs right why has a milking stool only got three legs because the cow's got the udder well, you, you know. <laughs> sorry <laughs> you're not supposed to laugh it's a rubbish joke <laughs> but it's just an example of a, of a really simple short story with a little reveal is that not is that not an anecdote no that's a joke what is? <laughs> Why has a milking stool only got three legs? Okay. Right. Your next level of short story, intrigue, interest, reveal. Have you ever done that thing on a management training course or a kind of a, a staff motivational day where they do the thing like, for example, you need to cross the river and you've got the the dog and the bag of corn and the chicken, but you can only get two of the three things in. And yeah. how do you get across the river? And I um, love those. Do you? Yeah. And, and they're, they're quite good fun, aren't they? Because you, you've got that kind of head scratch. You've got that bit of a debate. You've got that um, friendly argument between your little sectioned group of people that are trying to work out. They go, no, but you can't put the dog and the chicken in the boat together and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But it also then, gives you the opportunity to be the centre of attention. And oh, I love that bit. Yeah. Yeah, no yeah. shit. <laughs> and and then you you you've got the the big reveal. So that's the the course instructor um, that goes right. This is the solution, everybody. And they go, oh wow, fantastic. The third level is more complex, more mathematical. And when you give the big reveal, all you do is create an argument. Right. And level three is this: the Monty Hall problem. Oh, right. 
<laughs> do you remember the Monty Hall problem? I don't know. Yes, you do. Let me let me just let me help Matts because you, no. you you've done me with this. All right. All I'm going to say to you, Matthew, is the incident of the dog. Oh, you mean the uh, yeah that problem? Yeah. Okay. So so for the benefit of our listener. Uh, Keith. Hello, Keith. Let, let me explain the Monty Hall problem, and then I'll tell you how it's how it's made my life a burden since the day I learned about it. I hate this. I hate this so much. <laughs> yeah. So this is apparently simple maths. So Monty Hall was the was the presenter of an American game show in the seventies, I think, and it was the game. It was called something like Make a Deal or Let's Do a Deal or. or and the Monty Hall problem is this. So, so they've had their rounds. You've got, the, you've got the winning contestant, and the winning contestant goes on to see if they're going to win the star prize. And the way this works, introduced to me by you, Matt, 10 years, yeah. the way this works is there's three doors, and there's three prizes, behind, you know, one behind each of the doors. So uh, one of the prizes is a car. Behind the other two doors is a goat so there's one one car and two goats right so it could be um car goat goat or it could be goat car goat or it could be goat goat car that, that's the only possible permutations and what happens is monty hall says to the you know the so far winning contestant go and stand behind a door of your choice which they do so uh, at this point, there's a one in three chance they're standing the other side of a door to the car and a two in three chance they're standing the other side of the door to a goat. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. So what Monty Hall does is he knows where the car is. So he's got, if you like, two doors and you've got one. And he opens the one door of his that has or one of if he's got two goats it's one of the doors that's got a goat if he's got the car and the goat he opens the door with the goat so you can now see an open door with a goat and a closed door that's what monty hall's got and he offers you this option this is the question when you introduced this to me 10 years ago you said to me tone you said yeah should you stick with the door that you've got should you swap with Monty Hall or does it make absolutely no difference? And I said to you, Matt, for goodness sake, he's got a closed door with either a car or a goat. I've got a closed door with either a car or a goat. And so consequently, it must be 50-50. doesn't matter a toss whether you swap. It's the same odds either way. It's 50-50. I've either got a car or I've got a goat. And you said, you always must swap. And the reason why you said I must always swap is because originally there was a two thirds chance that he had the car. Just yeah. because he's opened one of the doors, it, it doesn't change the fact that there's a two thirds chance that he's got the car. So therefore, you must swap to increase your chance of winning the car. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, you, basically, when you, if you choose. When you choose from this, when there's uh, three doors, you've got two in three. You've got two in three chance of choosing a goat, right? Yes. To begin with. Yes. 
So when he takes away one of the goats, what are the chances you've got a goat? 50-50. No, it's not. No, it's but not. It is because you've oh, got two God. dogs left. Once I was so close to understanding this. I fucking hate this thing. I hate this thing because the, the amount of times I've tried to explain it to people. No, but I've seen Tony. I have sat at Tony's kitchen worktop with his sister and he has done the, exactly the same thing with cards. Yeah. And 98% of the time... Oh, two-thirds of the time. <laughs> yeah. For fuck's sake. All right, two-thirds of the time, you were right to swap. But I still don't understand it. Why isn't it 50-50 now? <laughs> because... Right, let me start again, right? Hang on. I don't... Go on. Right, so when there's three doors with two goats behind it and one car oh, behind it... Yes. Right, you choose a door, what are the chances you've got a goat? I might have got a car. No, oh, for fuck's sake. What are the chances <laughs> you've got a goat at that chance? Two in three. Right. So, it, so when they take a goat away, you've still got two in three chance of having a goat. So that's why you must always swap because you, you are more likely in your original choice to get a goat. So that's why you must always swap because you will increase your chances by a third of getting a car. There's no reason why I even joined this part of the conversation. It's like sitting on the toilet and flushing it. It's like a treat. All sprinkles. You know, do that. You don't. (laughs) That's a Sunday morning treat, that is. Get yourself a B-Day, man, for goodness sake. Oh, it's yeah. like a little sprinkles, that's all. That's you, could, it. you could be there all day. You could work there on the... Uh, well, when I've got TikTok day. on my phone, I've been known to spend more than half an hour in the toilet. We um, Last August, we um, went out to see my sister in America and we stayed in an Airbnb. And um, and it was a, yeah, clearly a family that kind of move out for the summer and, and rent their place out to make a few quid which is absolutely fine. But in the master bedroom, the ensuite bathroom, um, the, the, the family had installed um, like a, I really don't know what to call it. So I'll just describe it. it it's like a, a bidet, but attached to the toilet. So yeah. you, you, so it's, it's not a separate bidet that you go and sit on. You, you sit on the toilet, you do what you're going to do on the toilet. And then you've got a control valve, just you know, re- reach down past your right hip, give it a little twiddle, and, and you get a jet. Um, in, well, to, 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 clean, ever, to clean have one. Have you, have you ever actually used a B-Day? Um, well, I come back to an actual B-Day, but this particular thing, n- none of us used it. But um, as the family came round to see us and, and friends of my sister came to see us during that, that, that couple of weeks we were there, every single person took a trip to the master en suite to have a look at this contraption attached to the toilet. Yeah. Every single person turned the knob and every single person shot a jet of water against the wall on the opposite side. <laughs> <laughs> and my parents, back in the 1970s, there, there, was, there was two choices for your 1970s bathroom. There was two choices, two choices only. If you were going to be fashionable in the bathroom in the 1970s, you either had avocado. I was about to say avocado. Or butterscotch. Yeah, lovely. 
and, and my parents went for the butterscotch bathroom. Yeah. And, and it was, um, the house had a, had a um, separate toilet and then a, a bathroom. They, they knocked the two rooms into one. Uh, with the wall gone, it created enough space to have a bidet um, in between the um, in between the toilet and, and the um, and the bath. And and our family was quite a um, um, liberal family. Mm. And quite frankly, you could have well, we've got four appliances. We've got we've got our our standard bathroom sink. We've got our standard bathroom toilet. We've got our standard bathroom bath, and we've got this modern contraption called the b-day four people in the family four bathroom appliances and yes you could have one person on each of the bathroom appliances oh. it's um it scarred me for life yeah i bet it did well so you did have one person on each of the bathroom appliances On many occasions yeah oh yeah <laughs> Are you part of the fritzel family or something <laughs> it's not right is it no, it's not. Who's using the B-Day? It's to use the b it means that you'd have used the toilet only moments before. <laughs> so then the next person would have sat, jumped into your grave, while you then moved over one. Did you then move on to brush your teeth and then have a bath <laughs> afterwards? You just sort of go in rotation. So, so if you've got like an image of like Radio 2 being on, on the bathroom radio, and as the music stops, yeah. you'll move round one of yeah. I'll give us a clue. Yeah. So, but okay. So, would you mind answering a couple of queries that I've got regarding the bidet? <laughs> the bidet. The bidet. Because I've never used one, and I'm quite intrigued. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I understand the concept, right? But the taps are behind you, aren't they? So, do you turn it on first, then sit on it? <laughs> All right. Let me get your questions out. Hang on. So, you turn it on. Do you have to get the temperature right? And is it that forceful a jet that it just walk and it just goes everywhere, or is it an effective cleaning method? And are you meant to use soap? Oh, the good question. Yeah, you're meant to use your hands apart from the taps. Yeah, I, I thought you were meant to use a bar of soap there, but then that sounds unhygienic applying the soap. So, Tony, talk us through the procedure, please. Okay, so to, to try and take your questions in the order I can remember them. You don't sit on it and reach behind you. What you do is you sit on it the correct way around, which is the opposite way around to a toilet. So oh, oh! So you face the wall. Yes. Well, that sounds wrong to start with. Um, so what, what you then do is um, you can use perhaps maybe if you're right-handed, you might think of your right hand as the tap hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, think of your left hand as the defence hand, and what you do with the defence hand is reach down between your legs, put your left hand over the jet as you adjust the temperature with your tap hand, being the right hand. And so then when you've got the temperature comfortable, then you can release the defense hand and the jet then squirts to the places it needs to squirt. And to answer your question, Matt, on, you know, you know, on your standard bathroom sink, you'll have that kind of um, area where it's kind of recessed for a bar of soap. I do know. Yeah, and you've got that kind of little kind of cut-out bit so the soapy water can run off the soap back into your sink. Well, the bidet have one of those. So oh, with a soap dish. Yeah, so a built-in soap dish. Um, yeah, and 
yeah, that, that, that's, how, that's how your standard butterscotch 70s B-Day works. Hang on, I've still got another question. <laughs> so, like, so when you go into somebody's bathroom, yeah. you've got the sink and next to it's a hand towel to wash to dry your hands after you've washed your hands. Yeah. And next to the bath is the bath towel. Yeah. Can you see where I'm going with this? So after you've you've <laughs> douched yourself, what do you then use to dry yourself off with? Or do you just have to jump up and down a bit? Yeah, good idea. Um yeah. God, are you a bum towel that everyone uses? <laughs> oh God, I don't like the sound of this. Well, you've got to dry your ass on something, can not you? Yeah, but if everyone's going to be using the same... But would you use a bum towel that's been previously used by someone else? Personally, probably not. However, <laughs> it's still an unanswered question that has intrigued me for quite a long time. Is There's a reason why the bee they never caught on in this country. <laughs> yeah, I can see. I'd, I'd like to have a go on one of the um, those Chinese-Japanese toilets. But just, just before we move on from the bee day... Would if you say say you came to my house, both of you, and I had a B day, and it was obvious you had to sit facing the wall, and there was a bar of soap and individual bum towels, bum towels. Would you use it if you had to come to my house and do you know go to the toilet where it would have been a requirement, or would you just not bother and use? a paper towel like everybody else does because I'm not sure where I'll stand on this I don't know if I wouldn't mind trying one well I think I'd feel a bit funny grabbing that bar of soap as well knowing exactly where it's been used if you know what I mean I think you don't put the bar there you just get the soapy hands don't you and go underneath and have a yeah but even so you might you might use you might soap up your hand apply and then go back for more soap I think it's a very silly idea so I was sorry. I just I just googled the question. What percentage of UK homes have a B day? Yeah, <clears throat> it's making a comeback. Nah. It's environmentally friendly. Yeah, it, is it? It does away with the toilet paper. You move from your standard toilet appliance over to your B day appliance. But then you squish everything up, don't you? <laughs> You have to like crab over to it with your trousers also, around your ankles. If, yeah, you got trousers. But how if you then have to sit on it forwards? Yeah, you have to. Your legs have to be right back, like your Barry Sheen or something. Yeah. Okay. You've been listening to a Walrus Line, and thank you very much. Thank you to Ant. But why? And thank you to Matt. Okay, good stuff. And also. Thank you to Ian Valander Graphic Design for his help with our logo. You can find Ian at ianv.co.uk. If you've got any comments or things that you'd like us to discuss, then you can contact us at Facebook, A Walrus Line, or Twitter, at A Walrus Line. So, if you've enjoyed it, please do tell your friends. If you haven't, why are you still listening?